couple questions to start off. Uh, have you ever worked at a job where you didn't know what your boss expected of you? You show up at work and you know they expect you to do a good job, um, but you don't exactly know what the job is, or you don't know exactly how to do the job, or, and you, maybe you know those things, but you don't know what exactly is the end goal they want of, that you would present this work to them, and they would be like, yes, that's exactly what I want, and you just kind of have this big question mark, like, I don't know what you want from me. And as a student, uh, we've all been students in our past, but, and some of us are still students now, but if you showed up to class, uh, usually first day of class is syllabus day. Let's go over the syllabus, this is what this class is. Um, and this is what you're going to learn, this is how it's going to happen, this is how much tests contribute to your grade, this is how much homework contributes to your grade, this is the projects and papers you're going to have to do. And usually there's some classroom like rules and guidelines and procedures of like this is what I expect from you in terms of behavior and this is what I'm expecting from you. It's this relationship that the teacher and student establish and all this lets you know uh, what do they expect of me and what should I expect from them. And just imagine going to a class and you come in and it's like, hey, this is, I don't know, English 101. You have to get an A. Um, good luck. And you know, you're just wondering, what, uh, okay, how do I get an A? I have no idea. And, uh, and hey, also avoid detention. What, what would get me detention? What, what are the good things to do? What are the bad things to do? Or perhaps growing up, even more personally, you had a, a parent and you never really knew, um, well, where do I stand with them? What are they expecting from me? How do I please them? If I do something wrong, uh, what's the discipline? What's the punishment? Or maybe it seems kind of random. Like sometimes I do this action and they discipline me and sometimes I do this action and it's okay and they, they let it go. And so there's like this inconsistency and you don't know which activities are off limits. Um, or perhaps they just never said anything. Um, so you're not sure, is my behavior good? Is it bad? Are they pleased with me? Are they disappointed with me? I don't know where I stand in this relationship. And so we're going to do a little bit of brainstorming answering the question, how does it feel to be in these sorts of relationships? How does it feel to not know what someone expects of you? How does it feel to not know what you can expect from another person? What are the feelings that come to mind when you're in a situation like that? Uneasy. Uneasy. Exhausting. Exhausting. Interesting. Say, what? Why exhausting? Because you might like constantly be trying to like, okay, well, is this gonna make them happy? Okay, nope. Let's try this. Or okay. you're never quite sure hmm. where you stand or what you're doing. And I guess I suppose if that's if they're uh, not giving you any feedback, you might be exhausted just like worrying about it too, even if they're not expressing anything. Yeah. Exhausting. Confusion. Confusion. Yeah, last last week this was good work. This week it's bad work, <laughs> or whatever it is. Behavior. Frustration. Frustration. <clears throat> anger. Anger. Where would the anger come from? It's like there's a target. Mm. You're like constantly just mad that there isn't any clear. Okay, so it could be like, I know you're expecting something from me and you continually right. seem to be disappointed yeah. and it just makes me angry. Yeah. yeah. Alexander, yeah? Sometimes mad. Sometimes might be mad. Mm -hmm. Could feel mad. Mm -hmm. Maybe like 
Some fear. Fear. <clears throat> yeah, you might not. It's like, I don't know where I stand. I'm afraid. Am I going to be fired tomorrow? Am I going to be grounded tomorrow? Or, you know, what is it going to be? That would be insecure. Insecure? I think mm -hmm. people might react in two different ways. They might, like, just give up. Or they might work really hard to, like, make sure that they absolutely meet any expectations they might have. So could, they could give up. We could link that to like despair, like, well, what's the point? I'm just gonna give up. What was the second one that they just like work? So you might feel really like I need to work hard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's leave it at that. Gives us a pretty good list. Um, and as we'll come back to this, as we're continuing this Explore God series, the we've covered. Uh, three questions thus far. I talked about does life have a purpose, whether God exists, and then thirdly, last week we talked about why does God allow pain and suffering. And in all of this, we've been talking as if the Christian God is the right God, and that this, uh, the Christian holy book, is the right holy book. We've been assuming all that. Uh, and this week, we brings us to the question of well, is, is Christianity too narrow? Like we've been assuming. Christianity is the right religion, and there's some truth in it that we can learn from, and absolute truth. We're talking about God in a, a way that makes it sound like this is, this is right. We know what to, what to say here, and there's so many other religions. How can we just draw our answers from, about life and God from this one book? And if we're going to truly explore God, shouldn't we be talking about Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism? Shouldn't we be bringing in all these other religions? Like, isn't this kind of narrow to talk with this way? And, and we have to do a little bit of... Uh, clearing the air because before we get into some of our, our the main big ideas that we're going to talk about because um, if you ask a lot of people in the world is Christianity too narrow the answer is going to be yes uh, people feel that it's too narrow and there's two fronts that people feel Christianity is too narrow the one is it's too narrow morally it's too narrow morally it defines a path that we need to walk with do's and don'ts and People don't like that. We don't like that. Even if you're a believer, we don't like that. I don't want somebody else meddling with my life, telling me what I should do and what I shouldn't do. Just kind of like leave it private. I'm going to take what I want from this. And it's kind of like if you come to a buffet, it's like Christianity is this big buffet line. And it's like, well, I like that food from Christianity. I like that food from Christianity. But yeah, I don't really like the, the green beans or, or whatever it is. Maybe you like green beans. That's okay. Um, but anyway. Uh, but even as Christians, we can feel uh, that the do's and don'ts are a little too narrow. And it's like, well, some of them I want to take seriously and some of them I don't. We kind of have like this selective hearing when it comes to what God says. Like, yeah, you know, I heard some of those things that I really like. And uh, those other, some things I just kind of let go. And those outside the church are usually most bothered, disturbed, and offended by what Christianity teaches about sexuality. Um, because there's clear definitions of sexuality that... God gives to us. He says, I've designed sex to be happen in one place. It's in the context of marriage between a man and a woman. And that's uh, until recent decades. Uh, for thousands of years, this was the assumed position of the church. Thousands of years. Thousands. Thousands of years. Like, that's crazy. And, and that's why I feel um, okay still holding to that position. Because it's like, why should I upturn a thousand-year-old teaching for some some stuff that we've started thinking in the last couple decades. 
And God says, anything outside of my design for sex is contrary to what I, what I want, whether uh, it's monogamous or not, it's outside, uh, whether it's consensual or not, it's outside of my design. God created marriage to be a relationship between a man and a woman. But, but this brings us to another hot topic, which is gender. Is gender something you're born with, or is it something you get to decide at some point in your life? Are you born as a male or a female, or do you get to choose that for yourself? And the Bible is clear that in the very beginning, God created us with specific genders, created the male and female, and then he calls it good. Our genders are a good thing. It's not this curse upon us that we're stuck with one gender. God called it good. And gender and how we express our sexuality are defined by God and not by us. But many feel this is too narrow. It's too restrictive on our freedom. I should be able to choose. Who can tell me what I should do with my love life? That's something I should get to choose. Who should gets to tell me um, how I feel is wrong. If I feel, um, if I look like a man, but I feel like a woman, like you shouldn't be able to tell me how I'm supposed to feel or who I'm supposed to love. That's for us to decide. And for us as Christians um, who hold uh, the Bible's narrow definition of marriage and gender, you may have seen on the news or wherever people, or even personally felt people say, like, that's really judgmental, that's really, you're really bigoted, and actually you're what's wrong with this country. Um, if everyone would think, would stop thinking so oppressive like that with all these restrictions, like, we'd be living in a better place, and, and you people are, are what's wrong here. And we'll be equated with a racist who wasn't, doesn't want to give equal rights to all people. And if you talk about it, saying, like, well, you know, I, even if you say it in the nicest way, like, I believe God designed sex between, to be between a man and a woman in the context of marriage, that's spewing hate speech. That's what you'll be told you're doing. And a couple weeks ago, you perhaps saw in the news, it was discovered that the wife of our vice president, Mike Pence, works at a school where they hold to this narrow definition of sexuality and gender. And both Mike Pence and his wife received all these comments that I just talked about, bigoted, and how dare they, and, and all this stuff was in the news. And um, even Lady Gaga, you know, who was, which um, she had at a concert, she decided to comment on it and say, you know, Mike Pence and your wife, you are wrong, and how dare you? And it, it was this you know, big thing in the news. And in light of this cultural pressure, many churches have begun reevaluating re their stance. Man, well, maybe, maybe that's not how we should define marriage and gender. Maybe even you personally have. Maybe you've been firmly committed to Jesus for years or decades, and then all of a sudden you're like, well, now I have a coworker um, who has a partner. Uh, they're in a same-sex relationship, or maybe even a relative or, or a child. And you're wondering, oh, maybe, maybe I've had this wrong my whole life. And so it hits home. Um, in really personal ways. And you may wonder, who am I to interfere with their love life? Who am I to tell them that their feelings are wrong? Who am I to tell them that they can't be a girl if they want to be? And so not only that's people feeling Christianity is too narrow morally, but people also feel Christianity is too narrow spiritually. It's too narrow spiritually. There's so many different religions in the world with good people following them. How can Christians say that they are right and all those other religions are wrong? That's arrogant and judgmental. And so there's a couple solutions, your arguments or solutions that people try to come up with. And one is people will say, well, you know, all paths lead to God and they're all just different paths and you just got to be on one and it's okay. All of them are going to lead to God in the end. And so, hey, Christian, calm down. Um, like you're on a path. This person's on a path. Um, we all paths are leading to God. 
But this solution doesn't work because it is just as narrow as what Christians believe. If you dissect any of these things, even people who say same-sex relationships are okay and gender is fluid and you can choose it, or any people who say all paths lead to God, in the end, it's a narrow path because all these paths, no matter what one you're on, you're saying to people, I'm right, you're wrong, and the world would be a better place if everyone believed what I believe. And so all the paths are narrow, even if we try to make them sound as inclusive as possible. All paths lead to God sounds inclusive. You know, everybody's in there. Christians, you can come. Buddhists, you can come. Like, I'm not judging any of you. But as soon as a Christian says, like, well, my path says that Jesus is the only way, then it's like, well, you're not welcome here. Or you see the example um, of uh, Lady Gaga's speech, and nothing against her personally, but the, she's expressing this um, the viewpoint that people have today, which is like, hey, we're inclusive of all people. But Mike Pence, how dare you ex- talk about marriage being between a man and a woman? You're what's wrong, and you're you need to stop that. And it's like, okay, everybody's welcome except the person that holds an opposite view. And so in the in the end, all the paths are narrow, just in different ways. And sometimes people will say something like this: Well, uh, you know, we'll maybe say to a Christian, if you were born in Iraq you would be a Muslim and not a Christian. And so your beliefs, the only reason you believe what you believe is because of growing up in the United States and because you grew up in a Christian family where they raised with Christian values and taught you the Bible and you went to church services growing up. But if you lived in Iraq, you'd have a whole different set of beliefs and you believe those are right. And so somebody says, well, you know, so, so your beliefs are relative. Your truth claims, what you believe about God, are just conditioned on what, where you grew up, the context you grew up in. Um, and so it said, well, you can't pick any of them. But the same could be said for the person who is making that claim, because they're telling you all of your truth claims are, uh, should be questioned uh, and are invalid because you really just believe them because of where you grew up. But the person saying that, you could be like, well, you too, if you grew up in Iraq, you would be a Muslim, instead of a person who's saying, <laughs> this thing that they're saying, which is all truth claims are invalid. They would be a, a Muslim in Iraq saying, no, my truth claims are valid, and God, Allah, is the only true God. And so it, it, every, it, it just breaks down in the end. And neither, neither of these are new problems, Christianity being too, mor- uh, too narrow morally or too narrow spiritually. Neither are new problems, because when Christianity began 2,000 years ago, the first Christians received the same sort of pushback and pressure. And people thought they were strange um, because in the Roman Empire, the major belief system was, it's, it, was a, it was a pagan belief system, which means there's multiple gods. And so they had all these different gods and you can actually bring new gods into the system and they just fit into it and you have a different god for different purposes. You want a good sea voyage? Make the sea god happy. If you want a good speech at whatever it is, make the speech god happy. And so then, but then these Christians come along and they're like, hey, no, there's only one God. All those gods are actually fake gods. And so they got all this pressure of like, you guys are what's wrong with the Roman Empire. Because if you're not praying to all these gods, our empire isn't going to go well. And you guys are actually what's wrong with society because you have all these weird strict boundaries on sexuality and what you do and don't do. And they're saying like, why? You can read, go read First Peter chapter 4 um, where he's talking about all these Christians, he's like, people are looking at you and they're saying, like, why aren't you coming to the, the parties anymore? Why aren't you coming to all these things that we used to do together? And, and they've had to change their life because now they've encountered God and they're living differently. And the truth is that all paths are narrow. 
All paths are exclusive. No path includes everyone. Every path makes some people right, and it makes some people wrong. And there's maybe similarities between the paths, but they're all different. All paths claim to have the right answers and the right beliefs, um, but they won't think everybody else should hold to, and it would make the world a better place. And today, people want to be inclusive morally and spiritually, but their attempts fail because uh, it all makes a narrow, exclusive path. And as we explore this question, is Christianity too narrow? We're going to focus on two principles. The first is this. Check out this sweet technology. Bam. First is this. Jesus is God's only solution to a problem every human has. Yeah, look at that. Cue cue the slide. Okay. So this is what Christianity teaches. Jesus is God's only solution to a problem every human has. I'm realizing you guys might not even be able to see it. Oh, you can see it. Oh, sweet. I'll put this down. But this principle tells us um, that there's a problem that includes everybody. It's very inclusive about the problem. Hey, we all have this problem, but then it says there's one solution, and God has provided it. And if you look across all time and all places, you can see that humans have this sense that there's some sort of higher power, and we're accountable to this higher power, and all humans across time... I have this sense of something is wrong with the world. And something is even seems like it's wrong with me. How do I fix that? How do I fix what feels broken in my world and in my life? And we all come up with a solution. Every religion identifies a problem with the world and with ourselves and has a solution for transformation or salvation or healing. And God, the, the Bible teaches that Jesus is God's only solution to a problem every human has. So we're going to turn to a famous passage that we read at the beginning, John chapter 3. Starting in verse 16, that's on page 888. John 3.16, page 888, if you're using the the Bibles we have here. We're just going to quickly go through this. So we're going to read first verse, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Notice that everyone by default, is on a path headed toward death. If left to ourselves, we will all perish, meaning we will all live separated from God forever because God's the giver of life. And if we say, God, you know, I want to unplug from you. I want to, you know, my phone is unplugged from the wall. Eventually, it's going to die. And if we say, God, I'm going to unplug from you, the source of life, eventually, we're going to die. And we're already dying. Um, My phone's already dying because it's not plugged into the wall. We're all on a path with death as the final destination. And so if we want to arrive at a different destination, we need to take an exit off of that path, off that highway. And Jesus says, well, the only exit off that highway of death is to believe in me. If you don't want to perish, if you don't want to die, you need to exit the path of death you're on by believing in God's Son, Jesus. And if you want eternal life, you need to trust in him and follow him and, and surrender your life to him. You need to hand over the keys of your life to Jesus. He's the only one that will drive you off that path. And this is very narrow. Jesus is saying there's one option for salvation, me. And next week we'll get in, you know, if I was sitting up here and I was saying like, hey guys, the only option for salvation is me. You'd be like, okay, weirdo. Um, so how could Jesus claim this? That's what we're talking about next week. He can claim it because he is God. Um, but why did God make it so narrow? Why is it just about Jesus? This is the only way to be saved. Is it because he's mean? Is it because he's a control freak? Is it because he wants to exclude people? Is it because he hates people? Well, no, he says the opposite. 
It says we're told it's because he so loved the world. Why did God make this narrow path of salvation? It's because he so loved the world. He created this narrow path because he loves us. And continue on into verse 17. It says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So did God create a narrow path in order to condemn people and all the other religions of the world? Did he create one solution to our problem uh, to make it so that everybody else was wrong? No, it says God sent Jesus into the world in order to save people. He didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world. He sent him into the world to save people. But a response is required, verse 18 tells us. It says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Who's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So in love, God made a way to get to him because there wasn't a way before. Everyone, by default, is on a path of death. Everyone, by default, is condemned because we've all rejected and resisted God's authority over our lives. We've all resisted him as king. And there aren't multiple paths. Jesus isn't one path among many. Every path leads to perishing and condemnation. And so if you don't want to end up at that destination, we must respond to Jesus with trust and obedience. And, but then what about people who don't respond to Jesus? Are they good people on a good path toward God, just as evil? We'll look at verses 19 through 21. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his work has been carrying it, carried out in God. Jesus is God's light come into the world, but people reject him, um, not because they're like, you know, I have this really cool path over here, and it's equally as valid as that other one. People reject him as the path, because uh, they want to remain in the darkness. They love the darkness and don't want to come into the light because if we come into the light, suddenly we have to admit, hey, I'm not that great of a person. Um, I'm really selfish and I can't get to God on my own. It requires humility. It requires seeing ourselves for who we truly are and not trying to uh, put a veneer of paint over ourselves to make ourselves look better and feel better. And the truth is that humanity's problem includes everyone. We're all walking in darkness. We're all lovers of darkness and by nature we're selfish we're all condemned and will perish but God has provided a solution and that's why our principle is God says that Jesus is his only solution to a problem that every human has we're going to look at a second passage that talks about this principle so turn to 1st Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 through 7 it's on page 991 Here, an early follower of Jesus we've talked about before named Paul. He's instructing a young man who he's mentoring. And this young man he's mentoring is named Timothy. And he's teaching Timothy this is what churches should be doing. And one of the practices he says churches should be doing that's important is they should be praying for all people. And then he gives the reason. Why should they pray for everyone even if they don't believe in Jesus? Verse 3 tells us why in chapter, First Timothy chapter 2. He said, this is good. And it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So he's saying you should pray for everyone, even if they don't believe in Jesus, because there's only one God. And so it's not like they're praying to their own God and 
It's a good thing. You should be praying to your one God for them. And he says, there's one mediator between God and men. In other words, whether they recognize it or not, they're accountable to this God who's the only one that exists. And the only way they're going to get to him is through Jesus. Why? Because he says Jesus gave himself as a ransom for many, meaning he paid for us to be able to come to God. He paid the price of our forgiveness for all the times we've said no to God. You know, imagine how we say all of us have said no. We all have parents. We've all said no to our parents. Um, and for that, there's a consequence. And there's a consequence for saying no to God. He's our creator. He's supposed to be our Lord. He's supposed to be our king. And there's consequences when you say no to your king. Hey, this is how I want you to live in my kingdom. No. Oh, okay. Uh, we have to do something about that. So there's consequences. And Jesus paid it. He died in our place. It's only through him that we can be made right with God. And, and so we should, Paul's saying we should hope and pray that people who don't believe in Jesus would be reconnected with their God. Now, why did God create such a narrow path to him? Why is there only one way to God? Why doesn't he let people come through other religions? Is it because God doesn't want people to be saved? Is he because he doesn't want people to know him or know the truth about him? No, verse 4 says that God, our Savior, desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So we see again, Christianity says Jesus is God's only solution to a problem every human has. God didn't make one solution for us because he wants people to be condemned or he wants people to not know him or he doesn't want people to be saved. He made the solution because everyone was unsaved and everyone was in danger and we're going to perish and we're condemned. And so he made one solution to get out of that because he desires people to be saved. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 through 10, where we're going to get our second principle. First, oh, I said First Thessalonians 2. It's actually First Thessalonians 1, verses 9 through 10. And it's on page 989 if you're using our black Bibles here. And this is another letter written by the same guy, the letter we were just looking at. His name's Paul. But instead of being written to one person, he's writing to this group of people. And he's writing to a church, but we need to look at the background of this church because previously all these people that he's writing to were part of a different religion. In Paul's day, as I said, the primary religion was that most people fo followed a, a bunch of different gods. Each god had their own job. There's a god who protected you at sea. There's a god who made the rain come on your crops. If you want to make, uh, have good crops, have a good trip out on the sea, you need to make those gods happy. But one day, Paul comes into town, into Thessalonica, that's who, where these people live, um, and he starts talking about this guy named Jesus, telling him Jesus is God's only solution to a problem every human has, a problem that all of you people have. And then... They, these people, uh, instead of being like, wow, you know, Paul, get out of here with your narrow views. Don't judge us. Don't come in here telling us our religion is wrong. We're not telling you your religion is wrong. Um, please beat it and, and be on your way. What happens miraculously is they all actually believe. They all actually say, oh, you're right. We believe you're right. We see that you're right. And now we are going to change our entire lives to match up with what you just told us. And they come into this new way of living. With a, There's a new, narrow spiritual path and a narrow new way of living that they uh, are following in, to please God. And they turn away from their old gods and their old way of life. And they trust in Jesus and abandon all those other beliefs. And they don't do it begrudgingly. If you back up a little bit, 
in this chapter, in 1 Thessalonians 1, you see that they have all this hope and this joy and this love. And it's like they're, they're excited about this newfound belief. It's not like, er, okay, I guess we'll... And they don't also say like, oh, Paul, I like what you're saying. I'm going to take a little bit of that and I'm going to incorporate it into what we're already believing and it's going to kind of improve what I've got going on here. No, they abandon everything they've been taught. And you can see this if you look forward a little bit uh, in verses 9 and 10 in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. It says, uh, he's talking about people who live around this city and how they're reporting to Paul uh, the crazy thing that's happened in Thessalonica. He says, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Notice what he says in verse 9 towards the end of it. He says they turn to God from idols, a.k.a. false gods, to serve the living and true God, to wait for his son from heaven, from, from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And that's what we heard Jesus talking about back in John 3.16. So here's the second principle for this evening. Watch this. You were wondering, where's the other one? There it is. Here it is. Christianity is good news about what Jesus has done, not good advice about what to do. And that distinction um, is from a book by a scholar named N.T. Wright. Um, and he, I just really appreciate how he said that. And so Christianity is good news about what Jesus has done, and not good advice about what to do. And news is not advice. News is about something that's happened. An event has occurred. Uh, and it's, it's not advice about like, hey, uh, you should maybe think about whether this event occurred or not. No, it's news. Something happened. And, and now, um, in the case of Jesus, what he's done on the cross and being resurrected from the dead, it's news that has now changed everything. It's changed the course of human history. It's changed um, how we should live. It's changed our world. And when it comes to us, it's not something that we're like, Ooh, am I going to take that advice or not? It's like, no, here's the facts. Something happened. Are you going to live your life in light of this thing that has happened? And we get news all the time. Uh, that Some of it we take in. Some of it we're like, yeah, that doesn't really matter to me. Um, but we would all agree, uh, I'm sure, that whoever becomes president, it's news that changes the, the rest of the history of our country and of our lives. When uh, President Trump won the election, that's news that now changes the direction of our country and changes the direction of our lives because now laws and everything else comes trickling down to us. What our news feeds are filled with, um, it, it changes things. And those people to whom Paul was writing were part of this other religion. And Paul doesn't say, hey, I've got some good advice to make your life better, but you can just stay on the path you're on. No, Paul's coming and saying, I've got news for you. I've got good news for you. Uh, there's a guy named Jesus. You guys all have this problem. You're guilty. You're condemned. You're going to die. But guess what? Jesus came and he died for your sins. And now you can be reunited with God. You can be forgiven. And he actually was raised from the dead too. And he's still alive. And so now he can work in your life. He can save you. He can change you. He's going to come back again one day. And he's going to make this whole world new. And then they have to not be like, oh, okay, like, we'll take that under consideration. No, it's news. It's happened. Are you going to live in light of it or not? And it's not good advice that we can just incorporate into our beliefs. It's good news that requires a, a new orientation. And it's one of the things that's unique about Christianity, whereas other religions, their, their teaching can be separated a, a bit from the teacher of them. Uh, there's, like Buddha, it doesn't necessarily require that Buddha existed for the teachings 
to be to be relevant because they believe that the teachings are eternal and so whether Buddha was a historic person or not the teachings are still good and the historicity of the fact of the person's existence doesn't necessarily uh, impinge upon the truthfulness of what they say but the whole New Testament if you take out the fact that Jesus died and was raised um, even the New Testament says this whole thing's a sham uh, it's if Jesus was a fraud and he was a fake, he didn't really live, he didn't really die for your sins, he wasn't really God, if he wasn't really resurrected from the dead, this is just offering false hope. And Christians, Paul says, this guy we're reading from, he says Christians are people most to be pitied because they're putting all their eggs in this basket of saying Jesus was raised from the dead and that means I live differently. And if that didn't really happen, it's not like, ooh, you know, Jesus had this cool spiritual resurrection thing and now he's kind of like resurrected in our hearts and he lives on. No, if that's the case, it, we're most people to be pitied because we're basing our life on something that's a lie. If this event did happen and Jesus is who he said he was, then it changes everything. And if it didn't happen, then Christianity doesn't matter. And there's a, a Christian author named C.S. Lewis and he wrote um, Chronicles of Narnia if you've seen that movie or heard of the books or anything, he said it this way, Christianity, if false, is of no importance, and if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. So if it's true, it's of, it's of infinite importance. If false, it's of no importance. But the only thing it can't be is in the middle, moderately important. And don't we struggle with that? Like, Jesus... If you're real, you should be of the highest importance to us. And if you aren't real, you don't matter at all. But Jesus can't be moderately important to us. Christianity can't be moderately important to us. Because if what if Jesus is who he said he was, and he did what he said he was going to do, um, and he's alive today, uh, that should completely change our lives. It should become the most important thing. And it's news. It's not good advice that we, you know, I'm going to kind of like work this into my life. It's news of something that has changed everything. And it's not just that Jesus taught a way to God or taught truth about God or taught people how to experience life with God. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. It's not just that he taught about things, but he is those. So if he didn't exist, Christianity is meaningless and unimportant. And so think back to what we talked about in the beginning. What's it like to relate to someone um, who doesn't tell us what to expect of them? Or what they expect from us. And we said all these things, uneasy and frustrated, exhausting, confusion, fear, and we feel insecure. And as humans, we have the sense that there's this higher power to whom we're accountable, and something about us needs fixing. Something about our world needs fixing. And so do we want to go through life wondering what this higher power is like? Do we want to go through life wondering what they expect from us? Do we want to go through life wondering if we're in good standing with them? Do we want to want, go through life wondering um, if we're doing what's pleasing to this higher power? Don't we want to know for sure what God is like? Don't we want to know for sure what pleases Him? Don't we want to know for sure that we can be saved and forgiven and in good standing with Him? Isn't that a question that you want to say yes to? Like, hey, are you forgiven by God? You want, want to be like, well, I don't know. Like, don't you want to say yes to that? Like, there's, uh, and the only way we can say yes to that. Uh, is if there's a narrow, defined path, if, is there's a particular way that we can come to him instead of like, well, you know, all paths lead to God um, and they all kind of have their own way of going about it. Um, it's like, I mean, that just seems super not comforting to me at all because it's like, is this a God that doesn't want to be known? Um, that we're all like 
every religion in the world, like the, uh, the wind blew and it kind of blew the curtain a little bit. And we like, oh, I just saw a glimpse of God. And then, you know, somebody wrote it down and we all have this little glimpse of God. But he hasn't said, hey, pull back the curtain. This is what I'm like. This is how to get to me. This is how to walk with me. This is how to love me and enjoy me um, and know me. Instead, it's like, well, we all caught this glimpse. It's like, does he not want to be known? Or is he just so incompetent that he can't make himself known clearly that we all have these totally different pictures of what he's like, and if you put them all together, it's like, well, well, what does please him? If all the religions, if we say they're all just this little glimpse of God, it's like, well, it seems like God's pretty inconsistent, and you can't really know what to expect from him or know how to be saved because he has all these different rules about it. And we want to know, who are you, God? Can I be in a good relationship with you? Can I know that you love me? And it's good news that Christianity is narrow. Every path is narrow. Um, but... It's good news that Christianity is, because how horrible is it working for a boss where you don't know what to expect from them or what's expected of you? And how scary is it to live with a parent who is inconsistent or you don't know if they're going to be happy or mad. You don't know how to please them. And the heart problem for us, <clears throat> even if we believe in Jesus, if you believe in Jesus a long time, we can often put our faith in other ways to be right with God. Um, because we can be like, you know, how do I be right with God? i got to keep all my sin hidden. And we feel all this nervousness of like, oh, if I can just keep this good face on with other people, um, God doesn't know that I'm imperfect and that I need him and that I'm sinful and that I'm selfish. i got to just keep all the bad stuff on the inside and put this nice image out and then, okay, that's how I'm okay with God. Uh, or we try to perform like we talked about here. I need to work hard. And we just like work hard, work hard, work hard, work hard, work hard. And we put our faith in what we're able to do of showing God that we are good enough for him. And the truth is that with God, uh, there's no path. Because with the path, it assumes like, okay, we're, we have to go up this path and eventually we'll get to God. But the truth is that God came down the path to us and he said, hey, uh, you guys are all in trouble. Um, but if you come to me, I'm right here at the entrance to the path. I'll actually carry you up the path, um, and we'll walk together up the path. And you're going to stumble, and you're going to fall, and I'm going to pick you up, and I'm going to carry you on the way. And there's going to be points where you're going to be like, I want to go back. And you're going to be try to go back down the path, and I'm going to forgive you for that. And you're going to get upset with me as I'm doing things along the way. Um, but it's not that we just work our whole lives to get up this path. I just got to believe hard, believe hard, believe hard, do good things. And eventually it's like, yeah, yeah I arrive at God. It's like he came all the way down. God became a human only son so loved the world he sent his only son uh, to give us life so we would not perish and that eternal life comes when we know him and how do we relate with someone who's inconsistent how do you relate to someone who's not made it clear what they want from you it's all these things maybe as you're looking at this you can think which one of these um, or multiple maybe take a moment your, on your bulletin if you have a bulletin or somewhere you take notes write down the one if you feel any of these towards God um, which ones you're feeling towards God. Maybe you feel exhausted. God, I don't know what you, I just keep doing things and I don't know if you're ever happy. <clears throat> Maybe you feel frustrated um, with your life. Maybe you feel angry at God. I don't know why you're doing this to me, God. Or you feel uneasy or fear. I'll write down which one you feel with him, um, if any of them, or have it in your mind. on the other side of these feelings. How do we relate with someone 
who has made it clear exactly what they think of us? How do we relate with someone who has made it clear, like, I know you're going to mess up, and here's how you're forgiven. Uh, and you never have to question it, whether I'll forgive you or not. You just come to me, and I'll do it. How do you relate to someone who has made it clear, uh, here's what uh, I want from you, here's how I want you to behave, here's what pleases me, uh, and you, I'd like you to try to do those things. When you don't, it doesn't negate my love for you, because my love for you isn't based on what you do. Um, I may be disappointed, but I'm still going to be patient and kind and loving and gentle with you. I'm still going to have joy in you. I'm still going to be at peace with you. It's not going to come between us if you mess up. How freeing is it? And I think the word we've come back to before is it feels safe. There's safety in knowing where you stand with God and that he will always act the same way towards you as he always has. It's not like, you know, today... This is how he feels towards me. Today, here's how he treats me. Oh, tomorrow he might treat me differently because he had a bad day at work or something like that. Or today, tomorrow he might treat me differently because, uh, you know, maybe I'll be a boss has had like a, a fight with their spouse the night before. And now they've come into work all cranky. Or maybe a teacher is having struggle at home. And so now all of a sudden they're really angry that day and, and, and short with you. And it's like, well, I, man, yesterday I joked around with you in this way. And now today you're mad at me about it. It's like God always is the same. He's consistent and perfect in how he acts. And one of the little acronyms we've come, we've used a couple times is SAFE. Uh, to be safe with God, the acronym is that we're secure, secure in Christ. We're accepted by God. We're forgiven of everything. And we're embraced Embraced in love. <clears throat> so, safe, secure, accepted, forgiven, and embraced. Take a moment, uh, if there's, think through, is there one of those that really sticks out to you? Maybe they all kind of jumble together, but is there one where you're like, I don't feel embraced by God at all, or I often feel unforgiven, or I don't feel like God accepts me unless I'm like doing my best. Um, or I don't really feel secure in the relationship. I always feel like it's in jeopardy. Is there one of those that sticks out to you um, that you have that you trouble with? And this week, um, something to think about and keep in your mind, uh, you, and you can answer this question for yourself, when do you feel far from God? When do you feel that like God is distant and not close to you? And it's that thing that is what you trust in to make you right with God. That's what you trust in to have a good standing with God. If you trust in Jesus, always have a good standing with God. He loves you. He, all these things. You're secure, accepted, forgiven, embraced. When do you feel unsafe with God? Is it uh, when you haven't done enough? Is it when you haven't read your Bible? When you haven't prayed enough? Is it when you haven't come to a church service for a while and it's like, oh, I'm feeling pretty distant. Now I need to come back to a church service and now I'm going to feel close and connected. What's the thing... Uh, when do you feel distant? When do you feel unsafe with God? That's the thing that you trust in. And for me, uh, growing up, what I experienced was, um, it was, if I did something wrong, um, my parents might be mad at me, and I just had to wait a while um, for them to come close again. And so with God, it's like when I mess up with something, and I'm like, oh, you know, I did this, I haven't been talking to you, God, or maybe Katie and I got in a fight, or I did something um, with Hudson where I got angry or short with him, and 
did something I knew I shouldn't do, then it's like, okay, I just got to wait a period, uh, and then God will slowly come back. He'll st- he won't be mad at me anymore. And so it's, I, sometimes I guess it's kind of time and good behavior. If I have good behavior for a certain amount of time, okay, now God is back close with me. That's how it works for me. And next week, the next two weeks, we're going to be talking about, okay, this is good news. We talked about Christianity is good news about what Jesus has done, not good advice about what to do. Um, in order for good news to actually be good, it has to be true. Whether Christianity is true, valid, and beneficial all comes down to whether Jesus was who he said he was. And if he isn't, uh, then we should really just ignore him and not orient our lives around him. But the next two questions that explore God um, are going to be looking at that. Is this good news uh, true news? Because maybe somebody can tell you something as if it's news and it's like, well, actually that didn't really happen. Um, or we hear a lot today about fake news or alternative facts and and odd things like that. It's like, oh, you know, is this just something that's kind of mildly true or do they just get built up over time? So that's what the next two weeks are about. Can we bank our lives um, on what Jesus has done? Let's pray. Father, thank you that uh, you did send your son because you love us. Thank you that you desire for us to be saved and that's why you provided the way for us to be saved. You didn't leave us to ourselves. Would you help us to place our full trust in Jesus so we can know that our standing with you is good because it's not based on what we've done, but it's based on what Jesus has done. It's your son's name we pray. Amen.